Welcome to What's on the Agenda Extra with Pat Conroy. I'm Melissa Hart with Dairy Agenda Today and join us as we discuss random questions, current events, and Cowboys' favorite show cows. Listen to this on Spotify and on Apple Podcasts and on Dairy Agenda Today. Give us a little bit of your background. Where'd you come from? Because uh, I think a lot of people know you, but they just don't know where you came from. Actually, I grew up in Minnesota, like south, south central part. Grew up on a dairy there. My dad was, I don't know if you call him a herdsman there, because when you're a herdsman, you actually get to make decisions. But it was higher hand, I guess you'd call him. The farm was a shithole. One time it was a nice place, but the son that had taken it over kind of ran things in the ground. Anyways, but in the summer times, I stayed at Elgin View Farms. Some of you probably would have heard of those guys back in the day. They showed cows a lot. That's kind of where I got into liking the show cows. They stayed there, basically got in the way, you know, all summer. I got to liking better cows and pedigrees and show cows and stuff like that, being there in the summertime. I guess it wasn't too far out of high school. I went to Michigan to work a sale. They used to have a spring sale, I think. And one guy that was kind of doing it there, Heath Pink was the guy. He's the one that asked me to come do the sale, and I did. And they had a dairy in Indiana. So I think I was going to Ohio Spring Show, and there was a week in between. So I went to Phoenix in Indiana, and then I just kind of stayed there. Terry, uh, Heath's dad, asked if they wanted to, when I wasn't on the road, stay and work at the farm so i did i just never went back to minnesota so that's how you ended up in northern indiana yeah i don't know i was kind of there i was still doing some clipping and stuff and and working at their dairy and then i just i decided to do 100 percent just fitting you know traveling all the time and that's i kind of left the dairy and did that and, and then progressed into how things are now now everybody wants to know where did the name cowboy come from I get asked that a lot. I, I don't really know. I don't know who come up with it or, or what. I guess they've, uh, they've been called a lot worse. <laughs> well, I'm sure. Yeah, I think the first time I ever heard that name was when I was on the phone with Dallas Burton. He was doing a sale in North Carolina. And we were talking about something. And you walked past. And he goes, hey, cowboy. And and I just thought, who is that? And he goes, oh, his name's Pat Conroy. Everybody calls him cowboy. And I was like, okay. That was the first I'd yeah. ever heard of you, so yeah, that was a long time ago. All right, so we've got your background. Now I've got three random questions. They're not going to be revealing or anything like that, just three random questions that I thought might be fun to uh, answer. So, would you rather zipline or bungee jump? Uh, zipline. Why is that? I don't know. Feel like maybe the bungee cord might, might break on you or something? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I guess I've never never really thought about that art, but if I had to choose right now i would i would uh, definitely go the zip line route have you ever done it <clears throat> me no. i'm with you i think i'd rather do zip line i feel like zip line every time i've seen a zip line it's always been closer to the ground than somebody that's bungee jumping so <laughs> yeah no, no, you're, right. you're right so i think the closer to the ground the better i don't know now we got a food question do you prefer salsa or queso salsa i like the queso if it's real but this fake shit they got it's not even real cheese but if it's real queso then that's that's my go-to well you've spent some time in mexico right with your bull stud mm -hmm. down there so you've probably had the real stuff 
and then I go that route. Yeah, how does that compare? How does the food down there compare to what we call authentic Mexican here? Well, down there, stuff's made with real ingredients. Here, it's who knows what they put in it. Whatever they grow in a petri dish. Well, yeah, I think the first time I ever had real Mexican, authentic, not Taco Bell food was in Kansas City when I was on a judging trip. And I just remember yeah. thinking, this doesn't taste anything like Taco Bell. So, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> no, it's a big, big difference. Yeah. I love Mexican Oh, you do? So it's one of your go-tos. If there's going to be like two restaurants in a town with this, one of them's going to be a good Mexican restaurant and the other one's a steakhouse, you're going to choose the Mexican. No, 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 I wouldn't say that. I, I like steaks too, but I eat a lot of them. But if there's a good Mexican restaurant, the best one I've ever been to is uh, Los Consuelos in, in Los Banos, California. There's there's a couple of them out there. No, okay. it's in Turlock. Okay. Yeah. So what's it called again? So we can all go there when we go to Turlock? Los Consuelos. Los Consuelos. Okay. Shrimp avocados. Highly recommend them. All right. You know, it's hard for me to look at a Mexican restaurant and know if it's going to be good or not. You know, if you don't know it yeah. and it's not a chain, I'm very wary of, okay, is this going to be good or is or what's going to be in the food? And yeah, it's hard to tell. Well, if you see cars in the parking lot and the locals are going, they say then it's good. But if the parking lot's empty, chances are it might be a little sketchy. This is true. That's a very good indicator. I go by signage. See, signs mean a lot to me. So, I mean, if it's a good sign, I'm probably going to stop. But no, only if there's cars in the parking lot, too. Yeah, I'm with you on that one. Yeah. All right, question number three. And this might be a challenge. Uh, I know it's a challenge for some. What's the title of the last book that you read? The last book I read. It's one or two. I don't know. I've read Rich Dad, Poor Dad several times, and sometimes I go back and read it. And then there's one... Uh, he was an ex-negotiator for the FBI, and he just talks about negotiation and stuff like that. And I can't remember the title of it off the top of my head. So you are somebody that will go back and reread books. Rich Dad, Poor Dad, I have. just I, I'm a terrible reader because if I start reading, then my mind drifts. Like, I'll read something that causes me to think about something, and then my mind wanders. And I start thinking about that, and I'll read five pages and not have a clue what I just read. I can relate. So then I got to go back and, and read those five pages I, just because I'm thinking about something else while I'm reading. I feel I have the same problem. And so then I just put it down. Or I get tired. Give me a quick synopsis of Rich Dad, Poor Dad. I don't, I've never heard of that. Who wrote it? Robert Kiyosaki wrote the book. I listen to him sometimes when I'm driving. He's a good guy for financial advice, I guess. And then Rich Dad, Poor Dad is one, basically had his dad and his friend's dad. And his friend's dad was the rich dad. And his dad, he calls the poor dad, although he wasn't. But the poor dad suggests that, you know, go out, get a job, work for your money, pay taxes and the nine to five lifestyle and the rich dad was more along the lines of make your money work for you about investing in businesses so both dads were very successful but two of them had extremely different points of view so it's a good book a lot of people should read it you know it kind of describes like you said two different points of view and a lot of people in this country that's just their bent some like the nine to yeah. five some people like the investment the risk taking of the investment some people can stand that risk other people 
are very risk averse. You just don't want to take those risks. And so. Yeah. Yeah. And there's, there's, you know, there's certainly nothing wrong with that at all. Different suits for different people, but, uh, but it's, it's a good book. More people should read it in, in reality. And why is that? There's a lot of people that are just very uneducated financially in my mind. I was one of them when I was younger, you know. I've just made a point to continually learn stuff. And so you're a student of the finance. So do you study that kind of stuff continually, or is that just... I mean, I I listen. I, I do a lot of driving, so I listen to different things, different perspectives, and always try to learn something. You know, I didn't really have anybody to hold your hand, as you would say, and say, do this, this, and this. Like, you kind of got to figure it out, sink or swim, in a sense, and you can learn some stuff along the way. And I don't know, I guess it's been a little beneficial to me. Sure. So what are some of the podcasts that you enjoy listening to that you've learned a lot? Name a couple of them. Well, one is is Robert Kiyosaki. That, he, I think it's Rich Dad Poor Dad radio show he has. Is it weekly, daily? I don't know. I, I don't have any subscriptions to any of that stuff. I don't know how to operate all that stuff on the phone. But if you just go on YouTube, you can punch that in and or anything like that. He, he's good. And one I like, and a lot of guys probably don't, I, I'll call him a bit of a motivation type guy, is Dan Pena. Okay. He He's not for everybody I like. My wife yells at me when I listen to him because she's like, why do you like that guy? He's such an asshole. And... I like, I like him. <laughs> he's pretty blunt. He, I don't know if he's still doing it, but he teaches a small business school, and you got to sign up for it. And I don't know if it's a year in advance or something. It's in Scotland, I believe, and it costs a lot to go there. It's like a one-week or two-week deal. He says the majority of his students drop out in the first two days because they can't handle the way he treats them. Like, they're just not uh, tough enough skin for it. Do you think you could handle it? If I, I always told, uh, there's a couple guys I talk with that I, I put them on to, to that guy, and I said, if I was in my 20s, I would try to go there and do it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think, you know, we're we're different than idiots, I'll call them. Mm-hmm. So, you know, they, they probably can't handle that stuff like uh, you or I or people in the ag community can. This is true. And the younger they get, the softer they get, it seems like. <laughs> oh, yeah, big time. Get me started there. <laughs> That's good. Dan Pena. Okay. I might have to look him up, too, just to see, now that you've given us that reference. Just out of curiosity's sake, I might have to go see yeah, how. You should look him up as long as you don't have kids and young kids around. Because he, he does cuss and swear. Like, <laughs> it, it's kind of entertaining. <laughs> How'd you stumble onto him? I don't know. It came up maybe in a in a feed or something. You know, you're driving, and you, when one thing's finished playing, it just goes to the next one. Oh, yeah. Oh, so, yeah. Okay. So just, yeah, you know, that's probably a good way to discover a lot of stuff, you know, instead of just exiting out of whatever it is and searching for the next thing, just listen to the next thing. So speaking of being frustrated, fuel prices are high, as I'm sure you yeah. know, and Probably you spend, what, twice as much on fuel as you go around the country in the last, um, since our president took office. And yeah. uh, that's kind of frustrating. So obviously we all see it affecting our pocketbooks just on a daily basis. How are you seeing it affect the dairy industry specifically? I mean, everything they do is we need fuel to operate everything, you know, whether it's getting the feed in the driveway or doing silent everything, you know, 
we require energy to do it. I mean, as everyone's experienced, all their input costs have gone through the roof. And, you know, milk people think, milk, oh, yeah, milk's high this year. Yeah, it is, but look at what it costs to make it. I don't know. They're, they're pushing this green energy shit. It's all the biggest fraud ever, in my opinion. It's the biggest bunch of bullshit. Like, what are they doing with the used mangled up wind turbines there's nothing to do with them you can't reuse them for nothing what does it cost to make these batteries for these electric cars the lithium and cobalt or whatever goes into them the amount of mining and stuff they got to do to get that like it's it's just very very stupid in my opinion in the late 1800s jd rockefeller paid scientists to call it fossil fuel so people thought that it was scarce so they'd be willing to pay more for such a scarce item. But it's all bullshit. If our population tripled today, and we use 10 times the fuel we did, we still wouldn't go through it. But you never hear that on... Nobody really knows that. You know, that's not what, what you're told. And the other thing you're not told is, what kind of energy do they think it takes to plug in your electric cars? Fossil fuels. Oh, right? yeah, I mean- <laughs> yeah, exactly. And they're, they're already wanting, like, look at Texas now. They're having grid failures and blah, blah, blah. Well, how are you supposed to charge your car if they can't, you know, the, the coal that's fueling the electric to charge the car? Like, it just, none of it makes sense. And to me, it's just a giant fraud. I was listening to someone recently talk about how they bought their son an electric car, and it was used, so they got a deal on it. It was like, you know... I don't know, $13,000 or something like that. But they needed a new battery in the electric car. Yeah, I, I, I seen that. Did you see that? The, yeah, and that cost like... Yeah, eight... I read about it there. Well, I guess I caught the headline. I guess I didn't read it. But... Like the battery costs more than the car. Yeah. What, what is oh, that? Yeah. What, what? That's just craziness. It's stupid. It's senseless. You know what? If somebody works in a city and they got two miles to drive... Great, it makes sense, but I gotta run to Minnesota and back home today. Like, what am I supposed to do? Charge the damn car for piss away all day? They don't understand what normal people have to do every day. This is true, and I wonder how long does it take to charge your car? We were in New York driving someplace and New York State, and I looked over and there was a charging station, and right next to the charging station was a rocking chair. And I thought, I mean, so this isn't just a five minute fill up of gas. This is like, what? I mean, how long does it take to charge? I guess I could Google that. I don't know how long it takes to charge a car, but probably longer if it's an older car. I don't know. Yeah, I, I yeah I don't really know. I I remember reading it once, and I'd be lying if I said, but I, I don't think it's anything quick. What I find really difficult to swallow is that they want these high prices to force us to buy an electric yeah. car, and I thought, what you know, we're all about choice, except when they want to force you to do something. Yeah, I get really irritated. It makes my blood pressure go up when I like the whole climate change hope. It's all bullshit. Big time. It always has been. They've just pushed it along, and I get, I get really irritated with it. Quite honestly, Cowboy, and I don't know where you are spiritually, but I know that we are not in charge of what directs the climate in our <laughs> on this earth. It is not us. It is it is a big old God that's in charge of it, and uh, we can't change that. No matter what we do, I mean, we can help decrease smog. Obviously, we can do that stuff, but we are not changing this earth or the temperature or how things 
work on this earth. We are just not in charge. And people that think that we are just have absolutely no idea of, um, that there's something bigger than them. And, and that's frustrating for me personally. I know everybody doesn't feel that way. You know, obviously there are a lot of different ideas and thoughts about all of that. And I understand that. Um, but from my way of thinking, it just makes no sense. And, and what bothers me is they push it and push it and push it. Um, and they repeat it so many times that it sounds normal now. I mean, it just, yeah, yeah. you know, climate change is well, what I mean, it is. They, they brainwashed a lot of people, big time. You know, like, there's going to be a lot of people that disagree with you and I, whatever, that's fine. But I also do think that some people are incapable of making a decision or having their own opinion. Well, critically thinking, and I'm I'm guilty of not critically thinking a lot of times, but that's something that we all need to do. We all need to be thinkers. Unfortunately, we're not producing young people who are able to think and reason things out. Right, right. We are all capable of doing that, but sometimes we just, it's easier to be led and to just believe what people tell you. So I'm looking up how long it takes to charge one of these things. Up to 12 hours using Tesla wall connector. Yeah. Mm only 12 hours yeah and and, get a lot done in a day couldn't (laughs) you tesla model 3 takes up to eight hours so boy oh boy that's now i don't know i don't i suppose the practical way of doing it is when you pull into cracker barrel for lunch and i've seen these in pennsylvania i think they have connect they have chargers now that you charge Every time you stop, you pull into a charger and charge. I don't know. But what about tractors? I, I think about this. I'm like, of course, they're not going to leave us, tra- you know, the farmers alone. They're going to make sure we have to have electric everything. So, oh, yeah. you know, what are we going to do? I-, I can't even imagine two in the morning when a guy's trying to get something done before the storm comes, you know, how that happens. Or when you're trying to get hay done. Can you imagine how frustrating it would be when you're trying to get hay in before the storm comes and then your tractor's out of juice? <laughs> that's not gonna go well that's just not gonna go well no but did you see anything with uh what's going on in holland uh i haven't seen anything recently like the last week i saw something but but what are you talking about specifically well it's kind of kind of off subject a little bit but they're trying to like cut 50 percent of the animal agriculture over there the holland stood up first like a bunch of farmers got their tractors and bale choppers and everything and they if you see some of the pictures or videos it's pretty impressive because they all ganged up and they weren't they weren't going to put up with it I don't know if you ever get a chance to research it a little bit. You'll probably have to dig a little bit because I'm sure the mainstream news blocks and all. I did see that, and I was really proud of it just to see people standing up doing something. Because, you know, it's a sacrifice of time, and we don't have a lot of time to leave the farm and to tell people what we think and how we think and stand up for what they believe in. It takes time off the farm, and we don't have that much time to get off the farm in between milking. So I was really glad to see them stand up against that. But what I don't understand is decrease it by 50%. I mean, in the 90s and early 2000s, you know, they were fleeing the Netherlands coming here, especially in Michigan, to set up farms here. So gosh, it seems like they lost a lot of farmers, but maybe they haven't lost enough, apparently. 
it's, it goes back to that climate change shit they're trying to push on them that, you know, the methane cattle are giving off and everything else that they're trying to brainwash people with. But same thing, that's, that's what they're trying there. But You know, Hank Choate, he was a dairy farmer here in Michigan, and he just recently sold his herd. We had a conversation one day, I interviewed him for a story, and we were talking about carbon emissions and our footprint and how farmers can decrease their carbon footprint and that kind of thing. And he said, what I want to know is when are they going to give us credit for what we've already done and the advancements that we have made over the years? And he's right. You know, farmers and dairy farmers are always the first to try conservation techniques and to improve um, things around the dairy. I mean, we're always looking for efficiency, obviously. Anything that's going to add more profit to the bottom line, they're willing to change. But we are always pushed a little bit more because of what they believe in and not necessarily giving us credit for what we've already done and and how much more can we be pushed oh for sure and others you know people went through a lot of tight times when one thing i've noticed farmers have gotten very very efficient because they they had to because they either went bankrupt or they they got by you know so they had to be extremely efficient exactly so back to the dairy industry, as far as like milk futures have been slipping recently in the last couple yeah. of weeks, just a little by little by little. And I know that the spring prices at all of these sales, a lot of dairy sales, the averages have been fantastic. Sales have been great. What I'm wondering is, yep, the milk prices were high and some people were getting upwards of $30 uh, for their milk in different areas of the country, but their inputs are crazy. How are they reconciling that? I kept waiting for the price to come down on some of these cattle, but I'm not seeing that. How are they reconciling high inputs, although they do have a high milk price? How are they reconciling that? Yeah, I don't know. I'm, maybe I'm not the guy to ask that question to, but I mean, there was probably good margin in it feeding last year's feed, you know, and then is the story going to change next year when they're feeding this year's expensive feed? You know, like I said, I'm, I'm maybe not the guy to answer. That's just maybe what I see. You know, from, from the get-go, there was probably good margin, but uh, I assume that's tightened up an awful lot here in the last few months. Right. And do you see, I mean, I know that we've had a shrinking cow herd recently. Do you see milk futures bouncing back? I mean, do you keep close enough attention to that stuff? I'm sure you do, but... Uh, yeah, yeah well, I, 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 I pay attention to it. Uh, I kind of have to, in a sense. But milk futures, I mean, what, what does it mean, really? Who knows? Like, it could change uh, in two weeks and be polar opposite like the stock market it doesn't really mean much you know it does to a certain degree i think but for the guys out there that that have to live by it day to day either right how many people bank on that i really am ignorant when it comes to what people are doing with futures are they locking those prices in how many of those guys are using that are the bigger guys using that do they normally do that some do i guess and it's something I'm probably not real knowledgeable about that I would actually like to learn more about uh, how that whole system works and what, what some of the bigger guys are doing. But I really don't know. I, like I said, I'm, I'm not uh, the most knowledgeable in that field. I guess we both need to learn about that, don't we? <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's something I've always had an interest in. I just never have taken the time, I guess, to, to sit down and pick someone's brain about it. Yeah, well, you know, when you're smaller, like we were, 
you just didn't pay attention to that. You just took the price that you got and went on about your business because you didn't think you were big enough to forward contract. But, you know, some yeah. of those bigger guys, I'm sure they are. I guess we should get somebody on here that does that so we could learn more about it and how they maneuver that. Yeah, because yeah. it's, you know, I always pay attention to the markets. I post them every day on Dairy Agenda, you know, so I'm always kind of in tune to it. But, yeah, be interesting to find out what the bigger guys are doing, so... Okay, so show ring season, we're we're in full swing. Or what, this weekend, there's a big show in Syracuse, New York for the uh, Ayrshire breed. And we're covering the Delco Classic in Iowa next week, Ohio State Fair. Will you will you be down there for the Ohio State Fair next week? Uh, I, I don't know if I will or, I will or not. I might poke my head and see if there's something there to buy. I, I don't know. What was the last show you attended, the Wisconsin Championship Show or uh, Spring Show? Or oh. have you been to one since? Oh, New York Spring Show, I guess, maybe. No, you went from New... No, because Wisconsin was after New York, so you were in... Yeah, 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 that's right. Yeah, Yeah, I did. I was in Wisconsin at the Spring Show. Yeah. Yeah. So, besides winning, obviously, what is your most favorite part of a show? I like doing deals, I guess, buying something or selling something. You know, for me, that's exciting. Sometimes I buy stuff even though I don't probably don't need it. I like the whole process of trying to buy or trying to sell something. And I've gotten to know a lot of people over the years, so sometimes it's just nice to go visit for a little bit with people that I don't see all the time or as much as I used to, you know? Right, yeah. So are you more into, like, the deal-making, or do you like buying something and seeing what you can do with her? I like to buy the ones that you think are going to be nice and then get them in the right home and see how they're going to change. Mm-hmm. I don't bring them to my place because we say, well, you don't know what you're good at and like getting a show after or something. I'm not home enough, so I send them to other places. I was just going to say, uh, you're never there, so you can't you can't take care of them, yeah. <laughs> no, 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 no. And if I did, it, I do a lousy job. I always think they're skinny, so I feed them and then they turn into sausage got it picked so i don't it doesn't work for me so that i would call you a little farmer because that you know every dad that has a kid that um is showing he wants to honk the feed to them you know they need a little extra weight and the kid's like no they need to be thinner and so yeah Yeah, maybe you're one of those those kind of dads yeah, I don't know. Uh, anyway, so that's good that you recognize that. Obviously, you've dealt with a lot of show cattle over the years. Can you name one of your favorite cows that you've owned over the years? I don't know. We had a nice cow in Switzerland that panned out and did really good, did a lot of things. She was one that certainly is right there. Another cow that was kind of neat was Wendon Dempsey Prude. I think I was in, you know, Red Deer. I bought her at Red Deer in Alberta at the show. I, I forget when that was. I'm, I'm terrible with remembering years. Uh, I, I want to say it was like 2015, 2016. So it went on Bradder. She was a robot cow. You know, not a big cow, but real square, big rib, nice udder. The Royals, shortly after that, so we sent her on a truck to go to the Royal. And Ken Coyman called and... I think I was maybe sitting in the airport flying back from right here and asked if he, what I wanted to price the cow at. And I can't remember what I told him. And then we got to the Royal and there was a few other people that were wanted to buy the cow for more money than what I priced her at to Ken. But I gave Ken my word that I wouldn't sell her until he got there again. 
And so Ken Poindman sent up and bought the cow. And then I think she was a reserve at Madison the next year, just only 14 days fresh or something. I don't know. She was a fun cow. Loanna, authority Loanna. I always liked that cow when she was a young cow and I could never get Jan to sell me part. And then finally he, he did. After I maybe he was he was sick of me annoying him. <laughs> maybe and he sold part of the cow and then uh, she was champion in eighteen twenty eighteen. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I really liked that cow. Uh, she was just uh, always looked good. Then she ended up in I don't know if she had cancer or something. I I forget. But she ended up croaked in twenty twenty. How old would she have been then? I think eight. Don't go okay. beyond that. But all that's a few of the ones they would. That are similar make. Well, you've had some jerseys over the years as well. Yeah, not too many, a handful. So none of those have been as impressive as the the Holsteins that you've owned? I like the jerseys, but I'm still a Holstein guy, you know what I mean? If if I had a jersey that was champion at Madison or something, it wouldn't mean as much to me. I don't mean that in a bad way. To me, the Holsteins do it for me. Don't get me wrong, but one fire up like with a Holstein. So you won't be investing in any Guernseys or Shorties? No, no, I still would. Yeah, I would. If I seen a good one I like, for sure I would buy them. You've led a lot of cows that maybe you didn't own but or invest in, but you've led a lot of different cows. Are there any favorites that you enjoyed leading along the way? Or? Probably. The nicest one actually was Dundee Donette was her name. The cow just loved to leave. Like she was a Dundee Adam Hodgins and Todd Galton owned her. It was just a good, good cow, and you could lead that cow with a pinky, you know? And some of them aren't like that, but Barbara was, I think I showed her when she was a three-year-old. She could be a little high-strung at points. Patricia, she was she was a little that way. She could get a little high-strung high, high strung and work you over. But one of the nicest leading ones is Dundee Donnell. So if you were going to give some advice to somebody that wanted to have their cow led by somebody else, what's some advice that you would give them before they hand the halter over to their leads person? I don't know. You can work with them every single day, and cows just react a little different to environments they're in. You know, by the time a cow's full of milk and their belly's full, they can get a little irritated. You know, if the cow's had a shot before in the neck or something, I find they don't lead as well. They fight you a little bit. Send them out and hope for the best, right? Yeah, well, I mean, practice enough with them at home where the cow knows you and then lead them yourself, right? Right. That's good advice. As I see people lead in, somebody like you or anybody else that leads a lot of cattle for people and you're struggling with them and you're trying not to lose your cool, which all of you do really well, but you guys are really good at keeping your cool. And so I always wonder, is the owner back there cringing? Did they know this cow was going to act like this when they walked into the ring? You know, are they thinking, oh my gosh, this is the worst thing ever. So I always wonder about that. I've had my fair share of getting tossed before, don't, don't <laughs> worry. One of the worst ones was in Richmond in Utah. I, I had uh, I had to lead a cow for Borba. She was a white cow. I think she was an owl. I believe Adam Little showed in this. Man, this cow, she worked my ass over. I mean, there was nothing I could do. Like It was like a flag on the... It put me into the rail and damn near put me to the ground. There, there was no stopping her. She uh, whooped the shit out of me, to say the least. But it's it's happened many, many times, and they, they don't always lead, lead nice. 
So what are you seeing as far as good show bulls? What are some bulls that are siring some nice heifers these days? I don't know. People ask me that and they, you know, stopping at places. And I, I honestly don't have a good answer. Getting into commercial herds and stuff, like a bull that sticks out of my mind, I've seen some nice Hancocks. I think, I think he's a King Doc's son or Seamer's mm-hmm. Red the Bull. Yeah, Seamer's Doc Hancock. He's a doc out of a Monterey out of a mogul from the great cookie cutter mom halo family so he's got some good deep roots there i've seen quite a few nice ones of the nice functional cows but i don't know it's it's so fast paced anymore that it's hard for me to keep up with them and then you see so many that you kind of forget one thing that's kind of interesting is if a guy prints me out a scary comp and it just has like a tag number a pen number milk weight somatic cell and i cross off the ones i don't like and then i go back and, and see which ones i kick out a lot of times i'm always surprised because a lot of them will be sired by the same bull really mm-hmm. i don't want to say the bulls because i don't want to piss somebody off right but, uh, right. but a, a lot of times that happens there are ones that i, I make notes on a, on a sheet and a lot of the ones i star or something that i like or will be sired by a certain bull you know so it's kind of a neat way of what works knowing what you're getting into right so you're only using your physical judgment of the cow and that will do it as we wrap up our first edition of what's on the agenda extra with pat conroy tune in next time when we discuss all of the random questions current events of the day and our favorite topic sales and what they mean for the industry this is melissa hart with what's on the agenda extra i hope you have a great day